0: Hello. Hello. That's Misty Calcofin. And that's Kitty Amen. And this is the Drinking Like Ladies in Crisis podcast.
1: This podcast is a companion to our book, Drinking Like Ladies, that was released about two years ago now. In our book, we asked female bartenders from around the globe to create cocktails inspired by women in history. Hopefully soon, we'll get back to the important task of highlighting amazing
0: women doing equally amazing things on this podcast. However, right now, our industry family is hurting, and we felt we needed to do something that could help everybody right now. What we can do is share information
1: here to our hospitality family about how to navigate in this critical time. Today, we are joined by Sean Finter, owner of Bar Metrics, a hospitality services and coaching business. Sean joined us today to offer some advice to independent restaurant owners in these challenging times.
0: Here's our conversation with Sean Finter. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sean. It's amazing to have you, especially at a time when you're so busy right now, just trying to answer all the world's questions about this crisis.
2: Yeah, well, it's my pleasure to be here.
0: Um, So I'm so excited. I haven't never met you in person before, so I have tons of questions, of course, about your background. Um, We'll get right into it. Um, Your resume certainly reads like an around-the-world voyage, um, which began in a truck stop, I'm I'm certain, from your bio. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Could you tell us a little bit about your background and about your company, Barmetrics?
2: So yeah, I did. uh, My my first um, role in the industry was actually in a truck stop that... uh, it changed my life, you know, just uh, in hindsight, it's very lucky. I worked for an amazing uh, business owner, super successful guy who invested in every person that worked there. So I got into the industry at a time in my life where I needed to be successful at something. Um, I wasn't the most successful hockey player, which is what all my friends did in small town Canada. Um, I was uh, not successful at school. Um, I still haven't graduated high school um, due to dyslexia. I didn't know it at the time. Um, so I worked there, worked my way uh, up and around, uh, got into bartending, worked for Hard Rock Cafe when it was still cool, uh, if it ever was.
0: Um, I kind of think it's still it. I
2: don't. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I had a blast. Um, and it afforded me, um, you know, an opportunity to go to London, England, which um, for me was absolutely life-changing, you know, to fly across the Atlantic and just see, you know, this wonderful world through a different lens. Um, I moved from bartending into management, into multi-site management in London, and then I got picked up with a consulting firm that um, showed me, you know, I think the the art of the turnaround. That's what they specialized in, and and I was was, um, really excited to learn. And one of my assignments took me to Sydney, Australia, which, uh, you know, by that point, I had been working in London, saving money, doing projects, getting to to backpack around Europe and then around the world. Sydney was like my 30th country that I got to go to. And I called my mom from a phone box and said, I'm never coming home. Like I just, it was like, it it ticked every box in my world at that time. And I wound up staying there for 10 years. Um, I quickly, I became uh, an owner. I bought a restaurant for a dollar, which is what I had learned to do in London. Um, and within six years, uh, we had eight properties under management and built a $30 million company before I sold it. So then, then I started Barometrics and the idea behind Barometrics was, was pretty simple. I, I, wanted to take a year off, you know, as a young guy and had come into a, a bit of money and, uh, and I was tired. Um, I was exhausted. I was uh, 275 pounds, which is about 60 pounds more than I am now. And, uh, emotionally exhausted, relationally strained. and uh, But I wanted to give back. I wanted to help people avoid some of the things that, that I had stepped in and, and uh, help them do some of the things that I did well. And I set out to help 10, uh, 10 other businesses. And that turned into a full-time job for me. And today, we do it in eight countries. We've helped over 7,000 teams. And uh, we've got 24 offices around.
0: Could you maybe give us a little bit more um, info about what it means in particular to help businesses in this industry?
2: Yeah, you know, there's there's two main focuses uh, for me. Um, one is on the business intelligence aspect. So we are the, the geeks in the in the back of uh, the business. Uh, everything from we have proprietary software for inventory control and and uh, managing your stock portfolio to um, you know writing business plans and marketing plans. Um, We do that, you know, as as a franchise company. And we also do that directly coaching. I coach some of the most amazing uh, bar and restaurant operators, not just here in the U S but around the world, they fly in from all over. And then in parallel with that, um, I am very focused on helping people to live a healthy life on the way through, you know, that's where I really failed. Um, And, you know, I I just don't think it's worth it to, to make a lot of money and blow your Relationships. So we um, we do our best, you know. All you can do is kind of point out the, the alternatives uh, to people and um, and encourage them. And and we have enough uh, success stories now to to be able to point to enough people to say, not only can you have it all, you know, your your health and build wealth at the same time, but it but it actually they are multiplying effects on each other. You know, if you're healthy, uh, the money comes, and if you focus on the money and you keep your health in, everything moves in unison.
0: Uh, just some of the I know we'll we'll drill into the concepts a little bit further down the road, but um, I know many people that I know that own and operate restaurants, are people that came through um, what sounds like a similar path through yourself, just like working and starting and getting going. Is it something that you think someone can teach themselves, or did you in your own career?
2: Well, this is a thing, especially for a lot of younger operators and aspiring owners. Yeah, you absolutely have to, have to learn in, in the best way that, that suits you. For me, in, when I got started, it was very much about um, apprenticeships and mentorships. I learned on the job. I, I put myself beside people who would push me. Um, I got very lucky and put myself uh, underneath people that believed in me more than I believed in myself, and, and I went for it as time went on, and I, and I was able to afford um, education you know, I've spent somewhere between six and seven hundred thousand dollars on my education, taking courses and learning. I love to learn, um, and to this day, I, I, I maintain a configuration where I have two mentors in my life—one uh, for family and, and one for, for business. I have a forum group, so I have six people that I study with every month, and then we get together every every uh, quarter for an intensive three day. And then I have a coach in my life, I have a business coach who pushes me and guides me along. And without that, um, I not only don't think I, I wouldn't advance the way, I just don't think it would have worked. Like, I, you know, I'm not that smart to, to, to even know where to go. Right. You have to have enough people around you that, that, that care about you and want to see you succeed.
1: That's amazing. Um. As we get more into the conversation here to talk a little bit about the current situation that we're in, I think, you know, myself included, Kitty and I, between the two of us, we have over 45 years in the industry, but we've never been owner operators. So there's still aspects of kind of the economic realities of owning a restaurant that I still don't know, because I've never been the one managing all of the expenses. Can you kind of give us a snapshot of what you know, the economic reality of the restaurant world is in a healthy economy.
2: Yeah, and you know, that the the industry at the best of times is incredibly difficult. It's without a doubt the most dangerous industry to invest your time and money in. Um, you look at the statistics globally, eight of 10 restaurants or bars don't make it to the five-year mark. And a lot of those that are open today, aren't making money. In fact, someone pays to keep them open, right? They either pay working 80 hours a week and not paying themselves or they actually funnel money in through another business. They have to keep it alive. And, you know, when I tell people that that aren't in the industry that don't understand the industry, you know, they say, why would they do that? And I said, think of it this way. If, if you owned a store, a little store in, in the city you live in that sold specialty Japanese uh, paper for arts and crafts, And that business over two or three years um, didn't bring in enough revenue to cover the costs. You close that business down and decide that your town doesn't need this, doesn't support this. You think about the emotional trap that most bars and restaurants are in where, you know, everyone understands food and drinks. And when you are failing, you know, it gets internalized that they don't like me. I'm not doing well enough. Like people can make this work. Why can't I? This is a necessity, a, a restaurant. So most people that I know that that fail um, say right after they they cash in their chips, if there's anything, you know, to cash in, normally they have to pay to leave. They say, I should have done this two years ago. Right? Everyone stays at the dance a couple of years longer than they should. Now, to focus on a business that does well by our by our standards, you know, if you make 10% net margin in a in a bar or restaurant, you're doing pretty well. Like and that's if you're paying yourself a a, a decent wage, a a normalized wage, and you make ten percent. But if you have a two million dollar store, you're making two hundred grand a year. And if your establishment costs were six hundred grand to get open that you had to outlay, you know what I mean? Year four you start to make some money. So we we all know the the runaway success stories of you know, a bar in your city and, and they're making a million bucks a year, they're just very few and far between. I, I, I frame it this way. If you went to a bank and said, listen, I want to uh, open up a business that uh, operates when other businesses aren't on, nights and weekends, when no one wants to work, and we're going to uh, employ mostly people that we're going to pay uh, somewhere below a, a livable wage to. We're going to turn up the music so loud no one can hear. We're going to turn the lights down so low we can barely see each other. And our primary product is drugs. We're going to sell liquid drugs. And uh, and I need a million bucks to get open. like do you understand why banks don't fund these businesses? They just sound like a terrible idea. <laughs> right? A terrible idea. Like I, I used to be that idiot going to the bank and, saying, and, I, and I would wear a tie and they'd still go, uh, no. no. <laughs> which, is, which is why we have to rely on the three F's, right? Family, friends, and fools to, to fund these businesses to get open. Which is another reason why shutting them down, like it becomes really lonely on Thanksgiving when you've lost your mom's money your neighbor who you're going to double their money in two years. Remember, Um, you know, all these people that counted on you and now all their money's gone. Not only that, it's a cash call. You want to bring them back in. Right. It is a tough business to make money in.
1: Well, now let's talk about the opposite end of the spectrum. You were just talking about when things are good, when we're in a healthy economy and pretty much, you know, overnight, you know, we have gone from boom to bust in the last few weeks here. Um, So what is the economic reality of the restaurant world in this moment right now?
2: Well, you know, that that's a question that that nobody can answer. I can give you my opinion on what I'm seeing happening and what I think is about to happen uh, when we get reopened. And we will reopen. You know, is that in in five days or 55 days? I don't know. Um, So let me frame it this way. I was I hosted a call with about. 200 business owners when this first happened. And so in a, in a, in a chat window, um, I asked them how many days of cash they have on hand Cause everyone's saying, do I you know, lay off my staff now or later it averaged eight days, right? In a boom economy, they had one week of cash on hand, which meant that they all had to pull the pin immediately because you're going to need some of that cash just to protect your business during the closure. Right. So that's what was happening during a boom economy. These businesses are, are so undercapitalized, they were to start and they, they remain behind the curve as far as cash flow. So when something like this happens it isn't exclusive to our industry, right? Look at the airlines. The minute it happened, they put their hand up and said, you know, we need a bailout. And I'm like, aren't these the same folks that were paying their CEOs 20 million bucks a year and, and buying their own stock back with their tax breaks? Right? So I think business in general is underfunded. Restaurants are incredibly underfunded and and now, you know, there's going to be three types of businesses moving forward. Those that don't reopen, which the, the, the estimates on that is staggering. I've heard up to 70% and I've heard a lot of people saying, you know, 30 or 40% will not reopen. So you have those that will not reopen, those that are going to uh, reopen and fail. And that'll happen probably within 90 days. And then you'll have those that reopen and succeed, right? That that's that's going to be the smallest group right now the, the ones that reopen and fail someone else will come in pick up that business but you're going to have a lot of businesses that will not reopen and you know we're in we're in the u.s like spring is right around the corner here. so think about that hundreds thousands of businesses that don't reopen that were not shut down properly you've got food in there think about the rodent issue the, the bugs the, you know and having a business that's on the corner of Maine and Maine that's boarded up right it's it's really for me it's unthinkable like I, I I could never imagine this happening, but it's happening
0: so say we're in the part of the pie that we just discussed, the people that are going to reopen um what should be the first steps for an owner operator and management team, and where should they be focusing their attention right now?
2: yeah, so I think there's there's three. Elements of of your new plan that's got to come together really quickly and that plan really needs the uh, time devoted to it every every single week until things start to to level out. So firstly, um, you've got to look at, at, you know, your current financial position and and understand a few things. Firstly, old debt, uh, the current debt that you're looking to take on and then future debt and not all dollars are equal. Right so uh, maxing out your credit card costs you 18%. Uh, a 0 in, or a 3 3% interest loan from the small business administration costs you 3%. Uh, some loans have to be paid back in 3 years, some have to be paid back in 10. So you've got to work out that position. You've also got to take a, a reasonable stab at your cash flow. Are you expecting in month 1 of reopening to have 60% revenue year on year compared to last year or some businesses that I know are expecting to have 120 to 130% because they know the businesses around them are, are, can't reopen. So I've built, my team's been up late all week and we've built a, a modeling tool for this and I'll give it to you guys and you can give it to your your listeners.
1: Hi everyone, it's Misty jumping in here. We'll be posting information from our conversation with Sean today on our website, drinkinglikeladies.com. You can find Sean on Instagram at F I N. T-E-R-S-E-A-N, or at his website, barmetrics.com. That's B-A-R-M-E-T-R-I-X.com. Now, back to our conversation with Sean.
2: Um, so that it does that for you. So it looks at debt. You've got to really start to think about, um, you know, your, your biggest costs. So big costs are your uh, rent. So landlords right now, uh, unfortunately, they're in as bad a position as anybody. Right, they've got commercial spaces. No one's rushing the door to to take on a restaurant space right now. So you know some landlords are giving, uh, you know, holding your your rent and rolling it into the back end. Right, so your rent doesn't go away; it just gets stacked somewhere in the future. So that's part of that financial model. Some people are going to their landlords saying, "Hey, I will not reopen unless I can get six months rent free. I'm just not going to take the risk. I'm not going to put my family at risk for this. We're in this together." Other people are going to their landlord and saying, uh, I'm willing to reopen and I've been paying you about 9% of my revenue up until now. You have to be able to prove that and show them Um, I'm willing to give you 12% of revenue for the next two years, but I'm not opening this place um, based on boom economy rent. We're no longer in that. So you've got to look through the, the, the financial side of this. You've got to understand the legal position, right? Like accumulating debt. I heard somebody say I'm on the calls. Well, I'm just going to max out things. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to, I'm going to file chapter 11. That's not really how it works. You know, debt you accumulated in the last 90 days, like that's reckless and you'll, you'll be penalized for that. So we're putting another uh, webinar on helping people understand the different legal options that you have. There's a reason it's chapter 11 because there's 10 chapters before that. For example, chapter seven is a workout position. Now, a typical workout, you know, people wanted 70, 80 cents on the dollar that you owe them. Now workouts, you know, maybe they're going to take 20 cents. You don't declare bankruptcy. They're going to happy to get some money rather than no money. So you have to think about that legal position. And then the third is your your operational, your new software system for your business. Not a single business in North America will be able to use the, the old operating system. And you got to get smart about how you Structure your management team, the expectations for this six months, six months after that, and look at it either in quarters or in six month blocks. You've got to look at how you're utilizing your staff, how your marketing budget gets you like everything has to be reevaluated now and you need to put a new plan in place to make it work.
0: Wow. It's, it's so many pieces and it's so wonderful to have you um just break it down for us like that and share with us like that. There's a lot of visioning and thinking that needs to be happening right now. It's incredible. Yeah.
2: Well, let, let me, let me, let me just say on that, I encourage everyone that's listening to have somebody outside of the emotion of your business, helping you think through this, right? Somebody, somebody that's really challenging your assumptions and saying like, Oh, I think we're going to have 90% revenue. Okay. Let's run it at 60 and see what it thinks or I want to be able to keep David, you know? Okay. Well, someone's got to go like, no, no, I want to keep everybody. Well, let's take David out of the flow and see how that looks. Like you need someone who's not emotionally invested in your business at this time.
0: Um, so in most markets, we saw various stages of changes in operations for restaurants that were mandated on a local level, such as diminished, diminished capacities or hours. It's been a little bit strange because we're seeing this kind of rolling out differently in different states. Um, but there are a few restaurants that are open for carryout only, which is a huge shift um, and might not be what many of these people were previously doing, certainly not to generate or to um, accumulate revenue. Um, what should owners who are making this shift consider versus closing? So shifting to takeout versus um, shuttering. And what do you think they can expect?
2: Yeah, well, I've seen, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, different things. Mostly what you see is people have just... Um, you know, hit the pause button until they figure things out. But um, I, I would have, if I was, uh, if I still had my venues, I would have tried to find a way to keep uh, my team working, and, and I would have uh, started to to adapt to this new world that we're in. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples that I thought were really cool. A client of ours, uh, guys in uh, in the Carolinas, his name's Drew. He put together a um, took a store is bar. And, uh, they got permission to do takeaway drinks and, but they turned the, the store itself into you know, like a general stores, people were packing into places to buy toilet paper and cans of soup and this and that they started selling all those items in the store, right? Just called their supplier said, we want to return all this stuff and we want you to bring this stuff back to us. And then they were doing the cocktails. People were coming in. You could have a drink while you were there, just while you're shopping and then you're out again. Right. And he's got enough cash coming in to, to, uh, have a few staff on and, and, uh, and running that. So a second example, uh, a friend of mine in, in Washington, D.C., has a larger property you know, six blocks from Capitol Hill uh, called Hook Hall. And when this all happened, you know, he first thing he said was, you know, how can I help and, and what can I do? And his staff and his community. And when he put the word out that he was going to roll in like a mobile kitchen, like an army mobile kitchen, he had 900 pounds of seafood delivered from from one place. He had you know, just food started to roll in. And his, his goal was three things. One, you know, feed, take care of a staff, keep them working. Secondly was to, he was uh, last I checked, which was a few days ago, he was feeding uh, over a thousand industry workers a day. Um, and he said from dishwasher to general manager, if you work in the industry, he said, come down here and we'll give you a hot meal. And, And then uh, thirdly, right across from them is a charter school. And it turned out that the charter schools aren't covered, uh, so their meal programs disappeared. Um, So for the kids that go there, he made an area for them to pick up their homework and to get uh, a takeaway meal as well. So it's it's just been so cool to see how people are responding to this and, and helping each other out.
1: It's been amazing to see the uh, the ingenuity, you know, as people are recognizing their needs as far as their desire to keep their staff working, but also needs of the community, um, which has been really cool. Um, one of the revenue streams that I've been seeing a lot of people working on and, uh, you know, on social media is uh, promoting the sale of gift certificates as a way for their regulars to support them. Um And my first instinct is that that sounds like a really great idea, but then there's the thought that perhaps when they open up, if all of a sudden all of those gift certificates start coming back in, in those first two weeks when they really need to be having revenue come in, is that a good idea or is that not a good idea? So do you have any advice or thoughts in regards to this?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I would do it. I would uh, cash is king right now. And and the sooner you can get money coming in, you know, other clients of ours that, that are doing that, their customers are, are, are buying gifts. Some are saying, uh, I'm never going to use this. Or, you know, I'll use it in a year when you guys are back in better shape. So you think about that, like the people that work in your community that serve you every day, like I, I just I see the opportunity for um, your patrons to, to give back and serve you and take care of you. But even those that don't, if you can get that cash in, um, you got to manage your cash smart. You got to make sure that you, you know, you, you escrow that money, make sure that you're not going to blow it all. You're, you're going to get caught short at some point, but I would definitely um, take the cash and look at ways to, to drive that up. I'll give you, I'll give you guys one other example, something that, that we put together. Uh, I called a friend of mine who's not in the industry. One of the smartest marketing guys that I know, his name's Kevin Hutto. And I said, Kev, let's brainstorm and come up with an idea that ticks a few boxes, you know, not just getting the cash in. So what we did was, or what we, we suggested to to the market was, if you have a bar and let's say you sell cocktails there, you know, selling the cocktails is, is ticking one of three boxes. Like people come to bars. Yes, because they want uh, to have a drink. uh, But there's two other things, primary things that I believe people come for. One is the, the connection with your team right to come in and there's a familiar face, someone happy to see me at the end of the day. And then thirdly, a connection with each other to other guests and patrons that come in there. So I said, what if you put together a cocktail kit, right? So you call your supplier, say, I just want to get 10 shakers, uh, 10 of this, 10 of that. And you put together a box and you broadcast out and say, "Uh, we're going to do happy hour every day this week at five o'clock, we're going to use Zoom. They have a free account or you can do it on Facebook live. And when you come in, you pick up your kit, and instead of just buying a cocktail now, you're buying a kit which will make four cocktails. You take it home, you come on at five o'clock, Facebook Live, one of our bartenders makes a drink for you, makes that drink, you know, put someone with some personality, have a bit of fun, and you learn something, you put your kit together, and while someone's in isolation at home, now they're connected and they can see other patrons in the bar. You keep it open for an hour, you know, you might have a few people step up, introduce a couple people, and off you go. Tomorrow, you know, if you want to participate tomorrow, here's the drink that we're going to have tomorrow. So we've got uh, a bunch of bars doing that as well.
0: That sounds really fun. I can think of several bars in Mass that I would like to see do that. Yeah. Wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. (laughs) So if you do have revenue coming in, um, how do you decide where it goes when there are so many buckets to fill? Um, Who do you pay first?
2: Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, cash flow management is, has never been more important and, and, you know, you have to, you have to look at your, your P and L. You have to look at every single supplier in there and you have to get on the phone and, and talk to people and, and, you know, try to work out terms, right. A lot of businesses are, are going to switch to COD, right. They, they don't want the risk. Um, but you know, if you're an established business and you were on, you know, 14 days terms, I'd definitely be asking for 60 and saying, Hey, we're going to make it, well, you know, but this is where you, you need to be able to send people your plan, right? This tool that I'm putting together, it really simplifies things and you'll be able to you know PDF it and send it to people and say, listen, we've put thought into this and, and we are going to make this work and, you know, we need to be in this together uh, to the degree they'll, they'll get in with you. You know, I, right now I, I, you know, I own some commercial real estate and I hate to say this, but I would not be paying my landlord. Um, they're stuck with you for the foreseeable future, if they want to kick you out, well, they might, they might have an empty building for two years. You know, you got to pay for your food, you got to pay for your labor, you got to pay for your drinks. And from there, it's a decision by decision basis. In a spreadsheet, you've got to work out um, terms, relationship with these folks, alternatives, right? It might be time to switch to another company, which will give you uh, more favorable terms at this time, but you got to look at everything.
1: You know, we we spoke to Bobby Hugel recently. I know you're a friend of his. um, And our conversation was about um, being a more vocal hospitality community on a legislative level. You've engaged in the industry on so many levels. From your perspective, do you think there are systemic changes that could be made to help prevent something, a crisis like this um, in the future? And if so, what would they be?
2: Yeah, well... You know, this this is a, a point of reflection for for everybody in and, and you know, just deciding uh, how you're going to operate in the future. A lot of people that own uh, individual bars or, or two or three bars um, own their job, right? Like they, they don't they don't have an asset. Uh, most of these aren't aren't worth anything to sell. Um, they they have enough cash flow for eight days. Right. Like that's that's a tough position to be in. Uh, A lot of the work that we do is, you know, we the the group that I coach, I coach about 50 operators a year uh, personally. Um, And, you know, effectively, we teach them how to position their business for sale. I believe every business I've been saying this for 15 years that you need to ready your business for sale, uh, because that's what one of my board members told me to do 20 years ago. And uh, lo and behold, once it was ready for sale, uh, someone knocked on the door and wanted to buy it. And, and, you know, I, I got back then um, about three or four times more than the uh, most bar owners would have got, because I, you know, I had, I had a business, uh, not just my job and the difference between like people say, well, how do you know? I say, turn off your phone for six months and go to Mexico. If you come back and you still have a, a bar, then you've got a business. If you don't, uh, well, you've lost your job and so did everybody else. So you, you need to position, you, you know, I've always said this because I learned it when I was younger. Um, it's never more true than today. And, you know, it's it's a chance for us all to catch our breath now and say, okay, if I'm going to continue forward, um, what have I learned from this and, and how do I need to, to position myself and my company in the future?
0: Obviously, an owner-operator's response to a crisis of this nature has to be broad and multi-pronged. So, for the owner who is paralyzed with fear, um, what step should be number one?
2: Well, what I can what I can guarantee is that if if you are paralyzed with fear and you don't move, you're out. Um, this this requires um, moving, and in the analogy um, that I think best suits this, for any of you who have uh, been whitewater rafting before. You know, the, the, the way you make it down the river, firstly, you have to understand that you will never tame the river, right? You, no one's gonna tame this environment that we're in. All you can hope for is to successfully navigate through to better waters as it pushes you through. And if you have been in one of those boats before, you know that the best position you could be in is that your entire team is is listening to the captain's orders. You know, when they tell you to pull on the left, you pull. They tell you to pull on the right, you pull. In the absence of that, if your team is disbanded and all over the place, but they're still in the boat, they're coming back. um, You need to, at least as a captain, to have uh, your paddle in the water, right? If you don't have your paddle in the water, you are not connected to the river. And in this case, you're not connected to the business system. So you need to make sure that you're in the game, that you are making decisions daily that need to be made daily and that you are getting outside of that crazy box that you live in called a restaurant and getting into a cafe or someone's boardroom weekly for the next six months and have that other person who's not emotionally connected to your business helping you make those decisions. And I can't remember which general it was that said, the best thing you can do is make the best decision. The second best thing is to make a poor decision. And the worst thing you can do is to make no decision at all because you will be crushed in this environment if you stand still you can do this but you have to move right i, I think that um i i know of i know of hundreds of operators that are going to be just fine and make it through this and in fact you know anyone who does is as i said you're going to have a lot less competition for a couple of years right and and you will uh, retune re re uh jig your business to uh, to streamline it more and to make, make good decisions on the way through. So those that stay in and, and act smartly and, and walk forward, uh, making decisions that they need to make, I think they're gonna do just fine, but it's gonna be a tough six months.
1: So this, I mean, this, that may be your answer to the next question that I have, but I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, if, if there's something positive that you think could come out of the pandemic, what could it be?
2: Well um a couple of things you know i I think we all me and you guys included like we're all going to learn a lot of lessons right at the same time with all of our with all of our colleagues and the the fact is like going through crisis and 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 dealing with the threat of bankruptcy is nothing new to this industry it just isn't like eight of ten were doing it last month quietly on their own and ashamed now we're all in it together Right. You've got a, and you've got people like you think about this country right now. Like, you know, we we are in this industry that's been decimated, but there are plenty of people that all of us know that are working right now. Right. So those folks not only want to come and help and support your business, but it's an opportunity to reach out to people outside of the industry to get help with your business moving forward. So I think we all have to become really astute students right now. We all have to. We have to be smart and make good decisions. And and I think it it behooves us to to help each other out, right? To the the person you to compete with across the street. Like, I really do believe that a rising tide floats all boats. And and we've got to we've got to help each other get through this right now. And you know, not only make it through, but but reposition ourselves and our businesses for for the long haul.
1: Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Your expertise is invaluable right now. And um, thank you for helping everybody in our industry and sharing your knowledge and what you've learned over the years.
2: It was my pleasure. It was really cool to talk to you guys.
1: So we end every podcast in the same way. We have what we call the last call lightning round. And it is how we get to know a little bit more about how you tick, especially in the world of drinks. All right. So are you ready?
2: Yeah. Last call.
1: Okay. Question number one. You're in a bar. You don't want to look at a menu. What's your go-to drink?
2: Tanker and tonic.
1: Good one. Classic. Every
2: single day. <laughs> Every single day.
1: <laughs> yes. Um,
0: if you could have a drink with anyone, living or dead, who would it be?
2: Elvis Presley. Ooh. Ooh. I grew one. I grew up watching my father would record on the VHS. Uh presley documentaries and i've seen every one of them a thousand times and man i have a few questions for that guy i want to know what really happened in that jungle room
1: (laughs) 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 oh so good Good. all right uh desert island drink just one thing for the rest of your life what is it
2: probably be scotch and i love so many different scotches but probably something classic like johnny walker black
0: Okay, this one's a tough one, and we found it to be um, a polarizing, polarizing part of the conversation. So, if you're willing, espresso martini, Bailey's or no
2: Bailey's? I'd say no Bailey's. Yes. Oh, <laughs>
0: there you go. I don't,
2: don't want to get chubby on this island, you know, in case a, a boatload of girls pulls up. <laughs> I'd look like a, a whale. They just keep going by me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, and finally, uh, last call song.
2: Um, Week Kings for the Tragically We <speaks>
1: Thank you to Sean Finter for joining us today. I don't know about you, Kitty, but I was so thankful to hear some actionable advice for restaurant owners.
0: yes definitely there was so much good prescriptive advice that he gave Um, I think it was incredible to hear the specifics um, about how to look at your business analytically right now um, the importance of the types of forecasting people should be doing and I also was really thinking a lot about um, how valuable the suggestion was to get help from an outside source who isn't emotionally invested um, in your company it's going to be so huge for people going forward
1: yeah, it was great to hear him say plan, plan, plan. Thank you so much, Sean. We really appreciate your time. And as always, a huge thank you to our amazing producer, Chris, who makes us sound good. In addition to hearing Chris Voss's work here on our podcast, you can actually hear his voice as the weekday afternoon DJ on Boston's classic radio station, 99.5 WCRB, which you can find and stream online at classicalwcrb.org. WCRB.org. Go ahead and
0: head over to our website, drinkinglikeladies.com, to learn more about the topics Sean covered today and find links to the organizations he mentioned that are doing everything they can to support the restaurant and hospitality industries right now.
1: You can also find and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Drinking Like Ladies and on Twitter at Drink Like Ladies. Please subscribe to our podcast
0: wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and be sure to leave us a review as it will help others find us.
1: Mighty line, drinking. Until next time, I'm Misty. And I'm Kitty. And this is Drinking Like Ladies, a Spirit of Rock podcast. Thanks for listening.